Hi, I'm Johnny Varvel, UK's Editor-in-Chief, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the Varvel Football Podcast. This podcast aims to bring you insight, debate, and entertainment from some of the best and brightest young sports journalists from around the world. Please do give us a listen. You've already started, so I'd recommend staying for a little bit longer at least. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, then please do give us a subscribe. And even better, give us a positive review. Positive reviews are a great way to expand our reach. Not only would this mean a lot to me, but it would mean a lot to over 300 writers that write regularly for Varvel UK. We hope to get as many of them on this podcast as we possibly can over the course of the 2021 to 22 season. Anyway, enough of my waffle. Let's get straight into this. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So yeah, this is this is a podcast coming off the back of a footballing hell for any Manchester United fan. And they've experienced some strange times, particularly post-Sir Alex Ferguson, even with Sir Alex Ferguson, that 6-1 against Manchester City was a particularly dark day, a dark moment. But even then, three of the goals in that, I think, Callum, came in the last 10 minutes. So it's quite a contrast, really, even to that horror show that, you know, they've been beat 5-0 with all five goals coming before the hour mark. Yeah, Paul Scholes was right. He did say that if they played like in the first half against Atalanta, they'd be 4-0 down at half-time. And they somehow managed to play even worse than they did. They were terrible, weren't they, really? Um, just off the pace. Well, off the pace is sort of putting it lightly. They were awful. Fred and McTominay in the middle. As we say, every single time, those two cannot control the midfield. Um you know, even without Fabinho, they just it, it was so easy for them to just do everything in the midfield. Salah and Coe uh, making Shaw and Maguire look like Sunday League players at, at best. And yeah, Maguire in particular, I thought was I'm not singling him out for any other reason, but I thought he was shocking today. He, like, mm. I, as a captain, your role is to lead and set the example. Mm. And he was just far from that. You know, he, he hasn't looked fit for the last couple of weeks, has he really? Mm. And the, you know, it, it's, it's not even the fact that it's, you can say like Liverpool were like just playing mesmer, like really good football. It was that United were just so bad. They were being carved open. Mm. You know, Luke Shaw and Maguire were two of the players hailed as being England's best players at the Euros. And they're just they're completely not a far cry from that. Um. Up front, Ronaldo just loses his temper. Um, first, like, sort of, you know, real big strop he's had, hasn't he? And he's just thought everything was... There's nothing positive to say. It's, it's crazy to say that they're only the best player and was still David the hair and he conceded five mm. goals. He was yeah. the only one that... I wouldn't say he comes out looking good from it, but mm. he's the only one that probably should feel less embarrassed than the others. Yeah. A slightly, slightly longer summary than I want to cost. George Wilson is still here. I say still here. He's not even been introduced yet. And I can only apologise because there was such a, an event that has just happened. This is literally being recorded mm, circa to an hour afterwards. And that's why I led with that. Um, George was coming on with me thinking this would be, well, I didn't think it'd be the biggest talking point. Man United editor Brad Cox, I expected to be at the game, was actually watching the game with Norwich City editor George. 
so that's fantastic. He's, he's seen the game, he's watched it, he's observed it from Brad's point of view. Had I known Brad wasn't at the game, Brad would have also been on. But George had a particularly sorry state of affairs this weekend as well. His team not doing particularly well. Um, we'll we won't go to Norwich just yet, George. Callum's done a lovely summary of the game, really, from that end. And we'll we'll go to we'll go to you first from your summary yourself. I mean, just what did you make of that? Maybe in a slightly shortened version before we delve into the specifics, but what did you make of that as a whole? It was quite traumatic even as a, as a neutral, wasn't it? It certainly was. First of all, thank you for having me on. Um, it's great to be on. I've got no issues at all with starting with this game. Um, but no, I agree with most of what Callum had to say there. It, it felt pretty bizarre, to be honest, um, just watching it unfold because... As Callum said, it didn't feel like Liverpool were dominant at any point or even particularly in control of it in terms of possession. But defensively, United were just all over the place, as they have been all year. I think Norwich have managed to get one more clean sheet than them in the league, which is totally baffling, to be honest. Um, I also felt at half-time, because... when it's 4-0 at halftime, you start to think, how bad can you get? And obviously, I was thinking back to yesterday and the the Norwich result and thinking, could it get as bad as that? And then when Salah got the fifth about five minutes in, I was thinking, if Liverpool wanted to here, they could really, really embarrass them and make it even worse for Ollie. They did quite a good job of that, really. They, they did. They, they, they saw it out and, um, I don't know, they, they were they were in control of it after the red card, weren't they? But but I thought if if Klopp wanted to, um, mm. he could have even turned the screw turn the screw further. I, I know it won't matter to Liverpool because five nil is fantastic enough, and I'm sure they'll be having a brilliant party on the train back to Liverpool tonight. But I, I almost think it, it could have been even worse. Mm. Man United were that bad. Yeah, I think got out of third gear. Yeah, no, well, no. I, I, like you said, they were, they could have quite. I think they almost did it sort of like. Clark mentioned sort of like respect in his post match, didn't he? I think it was almost like, all right, like the damage is set. This is embarrassing enough. Yeah. Well, some 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 big managers have actually spoken a bit like that, haven't they? In terms of do you chase ten goals or nine goals in the past when a big team's taking on a small team, a proverbially small team, they'll say, well, actually, we'll manage this game out. We don't want to embarrass the other team anymore. But that's usually in the case of a big team taking on the proverbial small team, maybe in an FA Cup game. I actually remember when Man City did that against, uh, I think it was, I can't remember actually, it was a, it was a team lower down in the in the Football League, in the FA, in the Carabao Cup, I think, and they won 9-0, if anyone can tell me which one that team. That, Burton. Albion. Burton Albion, yeah. I thought it was, but I wasn't too sure. Um, and then they were actually criticised for maybe taking that game too seriously. And then, you know, there was a bit of a debate there. That was interesting, whether they should have shown more respect. But, yeah, I think it's a fair point. I, I, disagree. I think if you're there to win, I do too. Don't go all out. Yeah, I suppose the, the game is to score as many goals, win and score as many as you can. Yeah, no, I, I, to be fair, I, I would take those sentiments as well. But when we look at United specifically, one of the things that stood out to me, I get your thoughts, and it really is, you know, I, I, I think Callum actually really is, is kind of being pro Solskjaer advocate as opposed to someone saying Ollie out 
mind you, we aren't associated with Manchester United really, but I've always thought he's done a very good job in those first two years. Two back-to-back top four finishes. The only manager post Sir Alex Ferguson to do that. He built stability and everything along those lines. I was gobsmacked this week at how tactically naive a manager can be when something isn't working. Playing the almost 4-2-4 system against Leicester, it didn't work. Against Atalanta, it didn't work. And they got a get-out-of-jail-free card in the second half when their sixth player, sixth first-team player, got injured uh, Atalanta. Uh, Medi Demiral got injured all, uh, in the, in, at half-time. He had to come off. And then they got a get-out-of-jail-free card because they had a really inexperienced defence. They got away with it. How on earth can he wheel out 4-2-4 against one of the best teams in the world when the thing that Salah and Mane, albeit Mane wasn't playing so Jota, but those types of players, particularly Salah, the man, the man of the moment, they thrive on spaces in behind. The fullbacks thrive on making runs beyond, stretching the play. Trent Alexander-Arnold creates as many chances as anyone in the league, I think, statistically. And you decide to play with wingers so high, like you've done in the two previous games where it didn't work, you leave your fullbacks exposed, you leave McTominay and Fred exposed because they've got no shield in front, and you do it against one of the best teams in the world. And what's a, what shocks me the most is last season, when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer played in the big games, right at the start of last season, he lost 6-1 to Tottenham. And after he did that, he played a rigid, pragmatic 4-2-3-1. The wingers got back and they, they defended. They didn't push too many men forward. They attacked carefully in a balanced way. They didn't win too many of those games, but they didn't lose too many either. And they did win against Manchester City 2-0 at the Etihad, playing in that way on the counter-attack. It was organised, it was pragmatic, it was clever, and it worked. Where's that gone? Why are they suddenly playing this ridiculous FIFA-esque football when you're playing one of the best teams in the world, one of the best most informed players in the world. To me, I'll, I'll throw this to you, George. Is that almost the influence or the impact of Cristiano Ronaldo? Well, the biggest players in the world coming in openly admitted, or, or, or it's quite obvious to many, and it's been reported that he doesn't like pragmatic systems, didn't have the best relationship with Mourinho, didn't have the best relationship with Allegri. Uh, pragmatic coaches didn't have the best relationship with Rafa Benitez when he was at Real Madrid, also a pragmatic coach. So is this almost the impact of someone so big coming in and almost forcing Solskjaer's mind thinking, well, I can't play like that with Cristiano Ronaldo as my striker. I'm going to have to do something different because if I don't and he's not on side, my job's in trouble. Yeah, I think the Ronaldo signing is without doubt a factor in the increased expectation of this season. Um, But another factor is obviously the fact that Solskjaer has done those two years and has consistently got top four. So naturally, fans and pundits are going to expect that step up. But in that passage you were saying there, you consistently mentioned McTominay and Fred. And that is a partnership that people have always, or not people, but just football fans, football pundits have always suggested it's solid, but it's not quite good enough to you know, challenge for titles. But and, but it did provide a framework for them to get quite a lot of clean sheets last season. But now yeah, they that, suddenly played so expansively. It's, it, it's not working, is it? Yeah, but no, that, it, because last year they weren't told that they weren't expected to win a league title. This year was now that, right, we, we came close and weren't really meant to come close, but now we do. 
how many times have I been on this podcast and said they needed a midfielder? Yeah, I know, Not- I know, I know, but but why four two four? Why why so why play such naive I tactics? It, I think it's just Ronaldo. I think no. it's there's players in that whole team, Sancho, and that they don't press, so they're asking them to do something which they don't do. If you want people to press, you play, play people like Lingard. They, they run all day. They, they'll run all day for you. They'll run through brick walls, people like Lingard. Ronaldo, Rash and all that, they're not going to go up and press all day. They want to conserve their energy. No, no, no. But, but last season, though, as I, as I was sort of saying, a lot of those a lot of those points where you thought, hmm, if they had a Ronaldo to want to finish the chance when they had Martial up front, they didn't quite win. I'm thinking there was a nil-nil at the Emirates, could have had a win. There was a nil-nil at Anfield. Yeah, a bit luckier they could have had a win there as well. They built that on solid foundations. And if they've had a bit more luck, they might have actually got a few points. The question I'm asking, and the thing I just can't get my head around is, those tactics were, they were rigid, a bit pragmatic. Yeah, fair, okay. But they were getting sort of the job done. They weren't too far away from something. They were building something. And now all of a sudden... I'm looking at that and thinking there are no, there's, there's not a single, before you could say, well, they don't have an intricate attacking system, but at least they're organised. At least they've got a good organised block. Now they're not, they don't have a good organised block. They don't have an attacking plan. So they have nothing. So they concede a lot of goals and they're not scoring any. They've got, they've got, players, they've got players bang out of form and he's got, he's almost sort of, you know, he, he'd rather, he has this thing where he'd rather play an unfit Harry Maguire over. Eric Bailly clearly yeah. doesn't trust someone like Bailly or whatever, which is why he's got him next to Lindelof. But Lindelof's miles clear of the way Maguire's performing it. And the thing is, is I say it for if you're a captain, you set the tone for the way the rest of the team play. You know, like if Ronaldo had the armband, they would all still probably be playing things around, just throwing straps left, right, and centre. Mm-hmm. You know, but Maguire's wearing the armband. Maguire's not fit. He's not putting mm-hmm. in the shifts that we know he can do. Mm-hmm. It filters around the team and just the whole. The whole sort of it's it's very weird. It's just like even the team selections are so crazy. Like the team that started today was the team that were two 0 down to an mm. injury hit Atalanta mm. on Wednesday. If you're going to start any of the sides, you start the one that played against Leicester because they were they weren't losing the game and they weren't actually playing that badly. Like it's just so crazy. Like before I think he's doing it quite literally to just accommodate as many, because the whole thing of United is how, how much attacking talent they do have on mm. paper. They have Ronaldo, Greenwood, Sancho, Rashford, you know, and, you know, Rashford's just like for most of the seasons so Rashford hasn't been in the mix, but mm. now he is. And suddenly that's like an extra, like very good player to use. He's still got players like Marshall and that who, mm. You know, for all his flaws, he's still a solid player. Like you, you say, hmm, but most cl- I would guarantee most clubs in the Premier League would snap their hand off for someone like Martial. But they, they do. I think he does it quite soon because he's like, we've got all these players, and if one of them doesn't play, then they're going to start to kick off. No, but, but players like Rashford, for example, you cite fair enough, yeah, and Greenwood. Rashford and Greenwood generally, I would think, have a decentish work rate. And if that, listen, I was expecting when I saw that lineup, they've got. Now there's the focal point of it. If the focal point's not pressing, no. none of them else are, because they'll look at that and go, well, if the top man isn't doing the job, then what's the point? No, I, complete, I completely agree. What I'm saying is, in a game like this, I wouldn't be asking them to press because you press Liverpool, it's basically pressing ah. the self destruct button. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying Rashford and Greenwood have athleticism they are quick players i was expecting when i saw that lineup for them to be on the toes 
of Sean Wambisaka. So Sean yeah. Wambisaka would be inside yeah. and they'd be covering. So then you don't get Trent Alexander-Arnold bombing on, you don't get Robertson bombing on, and you don't have overlaps and overloads, which were happening all the time. Maybe not Robertson, but a lot on Trent Alexander-Arnold and Salah's side. And Keita was coming in. Shaw was having a nightmare, but he was also exposed because Rashford's up there in a 4-2-4 and I don't get it. Sometimes it feels like he thinks he's got Ronaldo from like five years ago, not the 36-year-old. Like, we forget Ronaldo's 36. Like, he isn't going to be like bombing. Like, he isn't going to be doing this pressing thing that Solskjaer suddenly wanted to do. Like, you know, no. like, like you say, Rashford and Greenwood and Co. and that work best running at people on the counter, not yeah. running at people to close it down. Because you've got two skillful centre-backs in Van Dijk and Canate on the board who are just going to pick, pop it round them all the time. No, but I, I, I was thinking, though, you, you say the press, and I, I get it, you're like, you, you got Cavani, who would lead a press brilliantly, but fitness permitted. But last season, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer found success in the counter-attack, not the press, it was the counter-attack, holding back, keeping rigid, waiting for people to commit, and then pinging them on the counter-attack where space is open up, pass, 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 pass. And then they found success that way. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer struggled against deep blocks. And deep blocks is where you're supposed to press and where you're supposed to be in the faces of them. That's when he struggled. He succeeded against teams that came out and tried to attack them, which is why I thought, hmm, maybe they could get something in this game. And I'm just so astonished at how poor and how poorly he judged everything. George is nodding his head a lot. He hasn't said anything. What, what, what are your thoughts on this? Sorry, I was just having a back and forth there. Well, just... I think it's interesting on Ronaldo because... That Leicester game last week, I'm guessing you were there, Callum. He, he, he really got exposed for um, that was, la- lack of lack of ability to press and and work, didn't he? And and I, I think from that point onwards, I think a lot of United fans are resigned to the fact that realistically, that signing has not helped them too much. It, it was it was great for the first game against Newcastle when the atmosphere was mm. as, as good as it was and whatever they say. But I always think back with Man United at this point, I think back to the summer before a ball had been kicked when they had their business to do. And I think most fans would tell you that back then mm. they thought a new central midfielder yeah. was more of a priority than a striker. Oh. And essentially they only brought Ronaldo in, as I'm sure you've discussed before. They brought him in to stop City getting him. They brought him in because because he was there, um, and it it hasn't worked. Maybe maybe a new man. I, I know we haven't come on to does Oli go yet. Yeah. Maybe a new man gets more out of him, mm. but at the moment it's just not clicking. The thing is, I've always been an advocate of social, like I say, and in, in previous podcasts I have, and I think he's, and as I said before, he's done a very good job, but the, but I can't get my head around how blatantly naive he's been over these past few weeks with the, with tactics that I might as well have coached Man United today. I might as well have coached. I have no coaching qualifications. I could have done, I could have got what had done as good as that. That was atrocious. And it was so, and I remember he's talking in the, in, in the, in the pre-match interview and he's saying, Oh, we're gonna give. We're gonna take the game to Liverpool. Well, straight away, I'm thinking. Well, that's what Liverpool want to want you to do, because they are. They want you to do that. They're brilliant. He, they've got players for the counter. They've got players for the press. They're one of the best teams in the world. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm genuinely, genuinely astonished. I thought we've seen him like Lazarus pop back from adversity time and time and time again. And there's a good chance that, well, no. 
I was going to say there was a good chance that if he had a, if it, you know, the the result, the result in the midweek, he came back in that one, and I thought, well, this is a good chance again, you know, to 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 keep to keep that momentum from midweek going. They'll be more pragmatic. They might get a draw. They keep it going. He's got more tough fixtures to go. By the end of that, he might be gone. But after a result like that, the manner of it, the only thing I would say, they lost six one to Tottenham at the start of last season, and he was given a chance to really. You know, go back to basics with these big games. I think that was a but bit it shouldn't happen twice. It should I never think, happen twice. I think that's a bit different, Matt. I, there's, 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 you're right. It, it shouldn't happen twice. He, it, and the, the worrying thing is for United is that that's the first team that they've played that have like mm. been in the top four or such like uh, a top four contender side. Like that's the first side they play, and they're not just been beaten. They've, they've been beaten embarrassingly in their mm. own backyard. The, the tactical... I, I, like, Benucci came out the other week and, well, not too mm. long ago and said sort of about how when Ronaldo was at Juve, it sort of almost filtered through that it was just, oh, he's just going to win games on his own. And, you know, we, we, you, you say, like, obviously, like, United were have been down and out in recent times, but, like, like on Wednesday, look, down and out. But who propped up and got the win of Ronaldo? Villarreal, who propped up and got the win of Ronaldo? Whatever. Like, it's almost like even Solskjaer's just thinking, well, if he's on the pitch, like, he might turn it round for us. He might do a, like, when he was at um, Juve and they lost to Atletico Madrid, he went and scored a hat-trick in the second leg and they went through. Like, it's like sometimes he just, like, goes, oh, well, he's on the pitch. Like, it doesn't matter how, like, tactically wrong again, he might change it round. Mm. Like the the six one last year, I don't think the same pressure was on them as now because last year it was like, yeah, they've brought in players, but you can see several areas that still need improving. This mm. is like that was his first full season, wasn't it, or his second full season? Second. So like that was his second full season in charge, and they're going, okay, we're still not title challenges yet, but you know we expect to be in the top four, and he did it, and he got to the Europa League final. They should have won that, didn't? Yeah. Fair enough, whatever. It's a penalty. It's a lottery at the end of the day. You win or you don't. This season, it was, right, we know what we need. Uh, we've wanted Sancho for two years. Mm. Get him in. We need a centre-half to partner Maguire. Ideally, someone pacey, but if we can get a world-class player in on decent value, we'll do that. For around for £40 million, you're not going to sign players of that calibre for any price ever again, mm. probably. So, you do it. Yeah. Everyone know that then when maybe, an, maybe a striker, if we can do it, but please get a midfielder in, like George said. We need a, they need a midfielder. They haven't done it. No. They, they went for Ronaldo for all the reasons we said this before. Mm. And it, so I'm not saying that if they had a midfielder today, they wouldn't have lost 5-0. Mm. They probably mm. still would have lost, but I don't think it would have been in the manner of... I was going to say, though, Callum, we, 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 we do have a habit. You know, my repetitions, I know your repetitions, repetitions both being the defensive midfielder thing at Man United and not rectifying that was silly, that's fine, but... But very fair point that's been raised by other people, George, as well, is that everyone has some limitations. I'd argue that Chelsea don't have, albeit they have some very good midfielders, they don't have um, maybe someone who could play the lone six like when Frank Lampard was there. So the 4-3-3 didn't really work because Kante didn't have the good positional sense to stick that role. Jorginho wasn't defensively sound enough to do that role in the Premier League. So then Thomas Tuchel comes in, he does a 3-4-3, revitalises an entire squad, a squad that with Frank Lampard that was eighth or ninth and not really going anywhere or not going anywhere quickly. 
there's still issues with it with that Chelsea squad, arguably. Maybe a lack of creation in the midfield. Only Mason Mount, Zayech hasn't really done it yet. Um, you know, Man City, Pep Guardiola wins the league without a proper left-back. Fabian Delft's playing left-back for most of that time. Doesn't have a striker now. So the, the masterclass in the false nine and dominating play in a different way. Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp, lacking midfield creativity. Well, let's get the fullbacks to be the most creative. Trent Alexander-Arnold playing as almost as a false right back because he's so far forward. And then Henderson's covering him, usually Fabinho's in. So is it a bit too simplistic to go, oh, well, they don't have a central defensive midfielder? Because other managers, elite managers, they find a way, don't they? They find a way to get the best out of what they have. And that United team has a plethora of talent running through it, but except for in one position. Sh- surely, and I'm saying this, you know, I'm changing my tune a little bit, but surely a Conte or a Zidane or an elite manager like that comes in and changes that, not necessarily gets them to win the title, but he turns that sinking ship round quite quickly, quickly, more quickly and more with more authority than Solskjaer looks like he's going to do in this running. I think you're right. And I think um, Solskjaer absolutely deserves a lot of criticism for this specific defeat. But as Callum mentioned, I, I think, you have to look at Maguire as well because mm. why is he playing him? Um, <laughs> well, what, what, why is he playing him? But I, I don't think he really had another choice with with Varane out. Bye. Um, I, I suppose Bay is another option, but I think he he's another one who, who's kind of been written off by Man United fans why? And, pro- and probably Solskjaer himself. I, I'm not too sure to be honest. I, I would I would have played Maguire today because based on previous games he's had a lot of praise this year but you you think back to the euros when he you know you couldn't you couldn't really fault the england defense i i if you'd asked me before the game how's maguire going to do i would have said i think he'll give a good account of himself i i didn't see the full game against leicester last week but he didn't give a good account I, of himself there I, I know he didn't there <laughs> but um I don't think yeah. it was Wednesday. I think, no. I think his goal just papered over it. Mm. Oh, he did score, didn't he? He did. That good goal, that as well, to be oh, fair. But he's not paid to score goals. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. The goal papered. I don't yeah. think he's United this season at all. So go on then, George. Just briefly then. Conscious about time, sort of. But this is this is a big topic anyway. But it does feel like, and if this was any other club, I was going to say Arsenal, but then Arteta was practically an Arsenal relegation fodder. But if it was any of the, at one point, he's found a way to bounce back. So I'll tell you though, the difference between Arteta and Solskjaer, Arteta strikes me as someone that won't take any rubbish from anyone. He made big decisions to get rid of Ozil. He also ostracized, he tried his, there was a lot of deadwood at Arsenal. He tried his damnedest to get rid of it. I also think when you do watch Arsenal sometimes, as much as they've been awful in a lot of games under Arteta, there are some games where you think, I can see what he's trying to do. I can see the style he's trying to implement. And while it might take a long time because he's still learning on the job, because this is his first managerial job, I feel like they've gone through... I mean, he would have been sacked, to be honest. If he'd have been at Chelsea, he'd have gone. If he was at City, he'd have, been, he'd have gone. You know, if they were genuinely challenged. But, you know, the Arsenal hierarchy is all over the place. And slowly but surely, they look like there might be something there. So I don't get the Arteta outs anymore at this point. I really don't. I think the, the building the foundations to maybe get a Europa League finish. But different story at United. And 
the pattern of play thing is a really serious thing, isn't it? I mean, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger said today, he doesn't know what the United way is because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer talks about the United way. He doesn't know what it is. And I think one of the worst things is when the, the defeats happen like this, you look at it and you think, well, you know, would a system, maybe, maybe Norwich's system's a bad example, but would a system, when a system takes the, the authority of the players, it, it's sort of the manager designing what goes on on the pitch. And the system make, thinks for the players, and if a system's well thought out, usually it'll be, certainly a team like Man United, they'll be competitive in most games. The system sort of designs what goes on. But when you give all the responsibility to the players and basically do almost what Mourinho did in the, in the past, and he says, right, the responsibility is on you. I want you to do, you to get the ball up the field, you to score the goals. And he, he sort of adheres or panders to the ego of the players. In the past, that worked because you had strong leaders, strong characters, strong mental capacity with a lot of the elite players and a lot of the stars coming through. It was a different mindset of, of player then. And it worked to a point. But now I feel like in an era of philosophies, in an era of intricate styles, there isn't as much space for that anymore because when the going gets tough, where do you look? You, I mean, you can look at yourself, but the players still have the same mental strength that they did in the Mourinho golden era. I don't know if they do. Them United players, I, don't, I think they need to be overcoached more than anything. People say players are overcoached. Now, we hear it all the time, don't we? So-and-so's overcoached, so-and-so's overcoached. And in, other, in situations like Bruno Fernandes, we've seen over the years, actually undercoached, and it suits him. And Jack Grealish, undercoached, it suits him. But for most of those players, Marcus Rashford, Sancho, uh, I don't know, Fred, Pogba maybe even, well, the rest of them, they need something to bed them all together, surely, at this point. And I don't think Solskjaer can do that because I don't think he has the intricacy of the plan that most other top-level modern-day coaches have. Yeah, I think you make some really good points there. I always wonder when it, comes, when it comes to Solskjaer um, and it comes to the Man United players, I often wonder how much of the outside noise they are taking in because... I feel like this season in particular, there's been so much discussion, whether it's on Sky or BT, about the elite level managers and how Solskjaer just isn't one of them. And I, I don't think there's, there's many people are arguing against that view. But I wonder what, when it comes to being in that dressing room and kind of believing in their manager, whether they are sat there thinking, we, we, could, we could have someone with a bit more tactical now or just a, a bit more knowledge of how to how to win trophies because that's simply it, isn't it? We, we know Solskjaer has done it abroad, but when it comes to this division, he's been relegated with Cardiff and kind of not much else at Cardiff. Um, I, I wonder how much of that they are hearing and how much of that is putting doubt in their minds mm. about it. Um, but it's it's difficult to know how much of that they do pay attention to. Yeah. Last question, Callum, sort of tied to that, um, much less waffly from me. I'm only angry because I didn't captain Salah. It's not because I'm a Man United fan. <laughs> but uh, uh, last question on that level. Is there a place still for not having an intricate system as a manager when you go into a club of a Premier League level? Is there still the ability to do what coaches maybe did in the past and pass all the responsibility onto the players on the field? Will that ever prevail long-term 
over someone who comes in with an intricate philosophy and to basically tie everyone together. No, I think you've got to have a perfect blend of both in, in a way. I think you've got to sort of like, for, for example, like Guardiola, he, mm. he has a set way, mm. but he allows, still allows his players to play with a creative freedom as such. Same with two shells as well, I think. like Two shells, I'd say, argue, is probably out of the elite managers, is probably the most set about in his sort of philosophy, but he still has players that he will sort of unleash the shackles off, i.e. Mason Mount on Saturday, sort of. So, you know, you know your responsibilities, but still go out and do your thing. Whereas with, with Solskjaer, there's no sort of like, you all have set jobs because because there's so so many players in that United side which are individual brilliance. The thing is, start. though, it worked when they had Bruno Fernandes, didn't it? Because he was kind of the star man. That's because there was one of them. That's where Pogba was happy in the secondary role. Yeah, Pogba was like Fernandez was the person that you would turn to and go, "Do your thing, mate. You just go out there and you know do smile." You. <laughs> with with Pogba, I feel like Pogba still is like a player that he can do. He he's a both. But now there's sort of you know if you've got Sancho on the pitch, you've got Greenwood, you've got Ronaldo on the pitch, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're all players that you would naturally naturally go to at any of their other teams they would have been the person that you mm. go 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 and do your thing mate like shackles off go and do what you want it's too many of them in the, yeah. in the team it doesn't fit and so I think that's part partially down to just recruitment in itself you know you've got to identify because every team has a player which you look at is a free role who's sort of mm. allowed to express themselves and then you have the rest of them who sort of, you know, they have license to do things, but they're they're more sort of regimented in the way mm. they do. Things. And I think Solskjaer just sort of pins all his hopes and just sort of, sort of like just sort of throwing darts at a board without aiming, just hoping that you get one hundred and eighty. Isn't it really? It's just <laughs> the sort of vibe I get with Solskjaer. It's sort of just very like I've got all these plans and I'm going to put them all out and just hope one of them does something. It's like you said that I think it, and I agree with you. I think it worked. I think it actually is really good management to know when you've got a player that's head of everyone else, and you put you sort of allow him to thrive, and you let all the rest sort of do the do the do the work work around it, which is what he did with Fernandez. And Pogba was happy to play second fiddle to that, and he was a wonderful second fiddle, arguably as good as Fernandez as a player technically. But I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's it's the same sentiments I agree with. When you bring Sancho in and Ronaldo, and like you said, particularly Ronaldo, ego wants to be the center of attention takes the limelight away from Bruno Fernandes. And then on the pitch, you're thinking, well, who do we give the ball to? Do we give it to Bruno Fernandes? Do we give it to Ronaldo? Do we give it to Sancho? Do we give it to Pogba? Uh, you know, all of these. And Greenwood's obviously playing really well as well. So it, it's almost like, what do we do? And then what? And that question should be answered by the manager. But unfortunately, it, it, yeah, I, I almost feel like it's juggling too many balls at the moment. And uh, it's all going to fall apart. And you know what? I'm so sad. I love this man. I think he's a breath of fresh air. He's doing it. It's almost like, and I always think, I'm not going to use the Bilbo Baggins one again, but it's almost like doing the job. He's like the fan going into the club and doing the job on behalf of the fans, like the representative of the fans. He loves Man United. He's Man United through and through. He's taking on the big boys. He's winning against some of the big boys. He's had some fantastic results as Man United manager. He's done an outstanding job, I think, as Man United manager. But the life cycle of this managerial reign is looking... Well, 
it's looking like it's on its last legs, I think. And if he's, I don't think he's going to go yet, by the way. I think it has to get a little bit worse because remember, the Glazers care predominantly about top four finishes because that provides the most money. Title wins just a bit more on top. The worry is if they get outside, go outside the top four. And to be honest, right now, uh, I know this is going on forever, but do you see that? I can still see United finishing fourth. There's three teams that are miles clear. There really is. United could still finish fourth. Callum's giving me a shake of the head and his eyes have tripled in size. But I think that they could still finish fourth because individually they've got some superstars there and they've just played one of the best teams in the world. We're lucky to finish top 10 at this, right? Well, yeah. Genuine, genuinely, right now, if you ask me, yeah. I would back Arsenal to finish top four. Of That's United. a fair point. But you wouldn't. I couldn't rule them out yet just because of what we've just said, all of those names. I'm not, I'm not ruling yeah. them out. Right here, right now, they'd be lucky to make the top ten. And I, and I say that, Callum, if they lose next five games in the league, which they could. They've still got to play Man City and all that sort yeah. of in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. George, 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 last question on United, I promise. Um, what, when, when do you think the axe falls? Because I don't think it's now. Even though, even though I think it should probably be now, and I think a lot think it should probably be now. And if you put a poll out, even the most ardent United fans, I think some would be dropping the axe now when do you think it happens because i don't think it's yet i think it has to get worse before the axe falls because as i said right now i think it's based on whether he gets fourth top four and i still think there's a fair chance that he can get top four if they manage to turn it around in in upcoming weeks but will they i i i'm not too optimistic about that i personally think uh you're looking at the man city home game in two weeks time mm. um because as a man, man United fans right now looking ahead to that will be dreading it. And should City go there and produce the same sort of performance that Liverpool have, which we know they're capable of because they went to Brighton yesterday, as I'm sure we'll come on to. Yeah. And, you know, Brighton, three hours. Brighton, usually a defensively sound team. Mm-hmm. And Brighton looked like they could have conceded 10 yesterday. Obviously, they, they shut up shop towards the end. But, um, yeah, I, I think that Man City game could be massive because if they were to lose heavily at mm. home to their yeah. two big rivals, I, I think, don't see how there's any coming back from it. I think that's a fair point, actually. You're right. The two biggest rivals, if they were to get a pasting there, I mean, next week they play Tottenham, who I would be backing to win, by the way. Even even though they aren't quite at peak form, I'd still think they'd be the favourites, particularly at home. But again, I think the, the most damning thing, especially with an international break on the horizon after that, would be to lose heavily to another one of the their biggest rivals. Probably perfect way to... You can't really argue with that, really. That that would be damning, incredibly damning. Um, yeah, well, no more United. Well done, Liverpool. You've got great depth. In with a shout of the title race, as if you didn't know that already. Probably going to be bigger sections to discuss Liverpool in the future. I am sure you can probably appreciate and revel maybe in the, in the misery on the red half of Manchester. George, more misery for you. Do we have Five to talk nil, about we, this? We, we, interesting, because <laughs> Callum also agreed when we were thinking of guests and we thought Brad was at the game. It was really... In, we, we are sort of mixed, I think, on Daniel Farker. I, from my point of view, I think... I, I, I'll just, I'll just uh, premeditate this, this discussion on Norwich by saying Chelsea's pretty much the same as Liverpool. Just as a quick one with Callum, uh, they have good depth. They can 
play well without a number of key players. And um, essentially, we learned very little other than that Liverpool and Chelsea, along with City, will be very much in a title race. The only thing I'd say we have learned is that Chelsea can really punish sides. The last two yeah. games, scored yeah. 11 goals, like they're normally known as being watertight, don't concede a lot, but don't score a lot. Mm. Last two games, scored 11 goals. So they've proved that they can they can do that, which yeah. I think regardless of the opponent, it's impressive if you score seven goals. Fair, yeah. No, and that's a fair point, really. I think I think that, you know what, that was a bit naive of me to say we haven't learned it. It was a good, good learning objective. What, yeah. They do. We haven't been accustomed to seeing them score seven, or or, or in that ilk, and they well, yet like they didn't really see that. So it was particularly it, yeah without Lukaku as well because th- that was something. Yeah. Well, before going to the game, it, it wasn't something that made me think, "Oh, we're now going to win." But it was something that you know gave you a little bit of belief that. Maybe it won't be a pace thing, but I mean, they did they did win the really Champions well. League. It's a bit like City, really. I mean, Chelsea didn't really have. I mean, they had Werner, but he was playing more left forward, wasn't he, last year in the, in the three four three? And to be honest, they they won the Champions League without a, without a big striker. They done quite well in the league with Tuchel without a striker. So it shouldn't have been. I mean, it shouldn't have been too much of a surprise that even though Havertz did absolutely nothing when I captained him in the fantasy football, that um, Chelsea, you know, still, still managed to still managed to create and score a lot of chances and, and goals. Uh, so yeah, but primarily you're here, you're here, George, for Norwich. Interesting with Daniel Farker, really. I think for me, I, I, I see a coach or a manager who's who has a he has his own philosophy, a possession based philosophy that we've seen. Uh, work wonders for Norwich really in the championship we saw it work wonders in the Premier League the first time round on that first season cuts through teams quite like butter at times engineers a lot of opportunities play football in the beautiful way that it should be played really but at the same time if the goals aren't going in there isn't really the organisation and the defensive structure in place from Farker to, to sort of conjure up results also worrying to me is I'm not convinced by either of the two strikers. It was Pookie and now Sargent's joined him in a 5-3-2, neither of whom are very quick, neither of whom are very potent, neither of whom are very deadly in the Premier League. So when you're keeping the possession and, and the ball and, and, and building up to get the ball to those strikers, I don't see anything coming from those strikers. So invariably the ball's going to come back. And then when the ball comes back, you think, well, can we be organised? And the evidence of Stamford Bridge, is this, the performance at Stamford Bridge, that's a big fat new. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, yesterday was obviously incredibly humiliating because, as I said, we didn't go there expecting to come away with any points, but you at least expect some sort of organisation and some sort of fight. There wasn't any of that. Um, you talk about Farker's philosophy um, of, as you say, playing possession football, progressive football. Mm. Um, and that was how we started the season. But ever since the Watford defeat, that has been sacrificed. We then got the two points on the board for the two nil-nils. And yesterday, um, nobody had any complaints that we were going in with a back five and three sitting midfielders, which is essentially what they were, one a bit deeper than the other two. But the other two didn't go very far otherwise, um, which obviously left the front too isolated, as you say. But as soon as you concede as early as the eighth minute, you know, we were saying, stood there um, watching it from the away end. We knew then that we were coming away with nothing from that game. And that is where 
I think we probably went wrong is that um, the approach from when we went behind was that we still we still weren't going to try and get one back. I, I, I almost think yesterday we would have been better if we had a bit more of a go because it, it got to the point, I think it, it was 5-0, Ben Gibson got sent off, which was a ri- ridiculous decision from him on a yellow card, makes a silly tackle on halfway. He goes off, which then leaves you with the two wing-backs and then two centre-halves. What does Farker do? Takes Josh Sargent off, puts Andrew Amabamadeli on. So then you've got 10 men, but you're still five at the back. And that, that, that just invited, invited it on rather than kind of facing up to it and going. I mean, I know, I'm not saying we thought at that point we had any chance of getting back into it, mm. but it just suggested Farker doesn't really believe even in his own philosophy anymore. Sorry, mm. I, I've gone on for a little bit, no, there, no. a little bit rambly, but mm. that, that was just a point I thought needed making. Well, one thing I thought really, I, 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 before I come to Callum, I'll ask your thoughts on it, George, actually. Kabak and Gibson, I think, are top flight centre-halves, to be honest. I, even though Gibson, obviously, is, is incident yesterday, I'd still like him at Burnley, personally. I think he's a, there were issues behind the scenes, which is why that all evaporated and now he's at Norwich. I think they had two solid top flight centre-halves. So when they're in a back three, the fact that they look hopeless or looked hopeless, I know it's against Chelsea, but the fact that they've struggled you know, defensively to, to be resolute, and that's why they went to the back three against Burnley and Brighton. And that's why, and they looked all over the place against Chelsea. I'm thinking it's not down to the individual. This is surely down to the coaching or the coaching staff that have them running or not in any kind of sensible position whatsoever. But that's been a common problem, hasn't it, really, with Norwich throughout the far career? Defending has been, always been an issue. Mm-hmm. No, it, it absolutely has. And I think you make a fair point that tactically, Farker probably isn't up to it at this level. I think I, I'm now resigned to that fact. Um, I think maybe if if the defeat yesterday hadn't been as heavy, maybe I wouldn't be feeling quite so brutal. But I, I think it's pretty clear now. Mm. I think the majority of the fan base have turned. And it's also pretty clear, I, I think this was highlighted on Match of the Day last night, is that the players don't appear to be fighting for the manager anymore, which mm. is another sign that his time should probably be up. Um, you'll probably come on to question how long it will be until he does go. But the fact is, um, Delia Smith, the owner, has got a history of waiting far too long to get rid when it's time to do it. She leaves mm. it too long because she has a relationship with managers. She gets to know them. She cooks and dinner. What kind of relationship, George? <laughs> and get, gets to know their family, but she's not she's not brutal enough. And that is essentially what will happen here is Farker will get more time. I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love to wake up on Monday morning and see a club statement there because I think that's what is required, but, but it's probably not going to happen. I'm, I'm going to say something. I'll let Callum... Uh, bounce off it. Callum's probably in agreement with that to be fair, but I, I, all I would say to sort of play devil's advocate to that is what Farker's done really with Norwich has been remarkable. Under the tight financial restraints that the club have bestowed upon him, I think he's done wonderfully, wonderfully well, not only to play brilliant football and get them promoted in that way, but again, to keep them, I think in that first season, they suffered quite a lot really with the, um, in the Premier League, they suffered quite a lot with the 
fans not being in the, in the stadium towards the end. I think that affected them a bit more than most. Carrow Road's a fantastic place when it gets going and booming. And and it, I think I think the fans, re, uh, there was a real collective family spirit going on there. It was us against the world. They were playing some brilliant stuff. It had gone a, it had gone a bit stale before the season um, season break and, and whatnot, but then they didn't really recover when they came back from that, but they bounced back so well in the championship last season. He's given a bit of money to spend in the summer, but then Buendia's gone. So you lose your best player and then you're bringing in players from all over the place, not really Premier League proven. So you're trying to find some sort of cost-effective solutions to, to fix the Buendia problem in other areas of the squad. While he's not without his faults, and I kind of agree with George to a point as well, he has done a remarkable job on such restraints. And would it not be a little bit harsh to part ways? I, I don't think it is harsh because I think... I, there's a lot of Norwich fans that I, I I sort of know as well, and a lot of them are saying you have to take into account the Premier League. Farkas won has he won five Premier League games? Mm. Yep. I'm, that's a horrendous record. And yeah, of course, towards the end of the season, the last time they were in the Premier League was Project Restart and all that. But that was only a small. That was only probably just less than a third of. The, what the rest of the season was. So for a lot, they were they, they weren't that good. And I think that the the biggest factor is this year, Norwich are a club that are often associated with being able to do things on a shoestring budget. Well, not a shoestring budget, but they sort of they're efficient in the way that they know that they're probably going to have to sell a player every now and then to fund. And then this year, I look at their two most expensive signings. They're both wingers and they're playing a formation without wingers. And then I speak to people and they're, they're crying out for Rashitska and, and Jollis to get a runner. I thought when Jollis played against us, I thought he was, he looked like a player. He looked like the sort of player that had that unpredictability about him in a way. And sort of not on when their levels. And I think, I think it's extremely hard for a club like Norwich to replace someone of the calibre of Wendy. Like, he's not doing very well at Villa, is he really? No, he's not doing, no, he's not doing he's well. He played out of position at yeah. Villa. Dean Has Smith only, playing without wingers as well. That's another thing. Joined Aston Villa as well, don't forget. Mm, yeah. and the, the thing with the Buendia one is, you know, they were all sort of resigned to losing him last season. And the fact that they went up almost sort of made everyone think, oh, well, we've gone up. So he's probably mm. going to stay with us another year if you stay in Championship. He went. I, I, I looked at, no, and on paper, progressive possession football is lovely. But then I look at the way Norwich plays sometimes and I think, but is there any progression with it Sargent and Pukic Pukic's yeah. lost the pace I don't I think he falls into that weird bracket for me of too good for the championship not good enough for the Premier League Josh Sargent you know it's still very early days but I'm not I quite like Matthias Norman I like Norman I think he's he every, he sort of you know when those players sort of catch your eye just by like the way they take the ball the way they pass the ball he was one of those people and I was looking at him thinking he He's got something about him here. He's he's a good player. There's there's just this set this it, it's how say and you can't you can't say Norwich haven't not had a go in terms of spending this year. They've spent more than they probably ever normally do. Mm. But I think that the whole you know Norwich is a club. It's a one club city and it's a one club city by some quite. It's got quite a large catchment area in terms of other big clubs around it. Like so it's naturally got more of that family feel to it, hasn't it? Mm. Which is, it's great. And I think sort of like, you know, Delia Smith, she's not the wealthiest of owners in comparison to people. She's sort of 
like you say, very family orientated, likes to get to know the managers and sort of, it is sort of that sometimes in, in the Premier League, you've got, you got to have that sort of ruthless attitude about you. And it's, you know, Farker's great. He's done a great job, but he, he won't keep Norwich up. And as exciting as it is to go up and down, up and down, I think all Norwich fans just want is a bit of consistency. Mm. I think, you know, I complain about the whole, doesn't it get boring finishing 14th every year? But I think, that's, that's quite not that's literally just want to finish 17th and then yeah. the year after finish 14th and then whatever yeah I was sort of playing devil's advocate really because I sort of look at it as well and think Daniel Farkas on borrowed time but I say that whilst acknowledging what a wonderful job I think he has done uh, up until this point working under those restraints um, I, th- I think you're right to point out the job he's made and I don't think any any of our fans are disputing that but I think what um, what that has done what what the job he has done has delayed the calls from fans mm. this season mm. to make a change because mm. realistically how long ago was it a month ago mm. when we lost to Watford at Carrow Road which was game five defeat five of the season we were yeah. still on zero points we knew that Watford game realistically was one we needed to win um, we didn't go, go figure it. with the game at Turf Moor well, yeah, but um, I think the fact that we've had those two promotions with him and we've got those memories with him, that is what has, um, what has delayed this and what has, that's the reason why we're now at the point where a few people this weekend are going, all right, it's, it's time to make a change. Yeah. Whereas pre- previously, only, I don't know, only half of the fan base had realised it wasn't going to work. We have now reached a point where pretty much the whole fan base think if we're going to stay up this year, which as Callum mentioned, all the fans want to, um, it needs a change needs to be made. Get Brucey till the end of the season. Available well, now. Th- that's the thing. Yesterday at the end of the game, we were discussing, discussing candidates. Discussion. Steve, Steve sure. Bruce played for Norwich in the eighties. Um, he scored scored a winning goal in the League Cup semi-final against Ipswich. He's thought of fondly. Um, so <laughs> I think he, he would be a candidate. I don't think he would take it because I assume that he wants a break after Newcastle. Um, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing. I knew Steve Bruce would still have his suitors. Don't let, Steve, don't, don't let Steve stay down for too long. But yeah, you're probably <laughs> right. I think he's... Um, I think he might be a bit exhausted after that tenure, to be fair. Anyway, Matthias we'll... Norman, though, he, he is fantastic, I have to no, say. I, I think no matter what happens to us this year, he'll be playing in the Premier League next super. year. Super, no, super. Um, slightly shorter then on some of these now. Um, go to, I think, I think the Oli Gunnar Solskjaer discussion was pertinent and Man United was pertinent to throw at the start. So it'll be an extended podcast again, slightly. The, yeah, Brighton City. Brighton City, 1-4 to... City, I mean, you know, Callum watched it. I, I saw, I saw most of it on, uh, well, the day after. Uh, the worst thing about Manchester City for me was the kit. I thought, apart from the kit, not a big fan <laughs> of the kit. I, I'll be honest. I saw it at the start of the season. I thought, no. And then I saw it. I saw it on display. I thought, hmm, just not, not my cup of tea. Really, um, can be yours, but Manchester City dominating and. I'm not going to, I mean, well, 
Phil Foden, the false nine, absolutely fantastic. It seems to be his perfect position, dropping in, dropping out, shaking it all about, scoring goals, making goals. It's It seems to be his perfect ideal position. Where do we play Foden? Is he an eight? Is he a right wing? Is he a left wing? False nine. He can play anywhere. I think he actually plays best slightly deeper, but each their own. Um, bright. Man City have this ability to make good teams look very bad, and Brighton weren't very bad. Man City were just in that mood where they just like to turn up and just sort of make a mockery. I don't think it helped that Sanchez didn't have his best game for Brighton. Bill made eight saves though, didn't he? Yeah, but he conceded four. Well, could have conceded 12. Like, such a point in the stat, he, he saved eight, but he conceded four. Like, mm. it's just more important. I'd rather, he, I'd rather he saved four, conceded none, than saved eight, conceded four. But it's better than conceding 12. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, re- regardless, it's, 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 it's a pointless stat because they lost 4 1. And he was easily at fault for two of the goals, I would say. And he's been relatively decent this season. He was definitely at fault for the first goal. Definitely the first. The second was a deflection, though, wasn't it? Of, of, uh, uh, the Gabriel Jesus's goal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah. Uh, Man City were ruthless. They, everything about them, it was one of those. Performances where you sort of, yeah, Sanchez made two mistakes, but you you don't look at Brighton and go, it's just one of those ones where you have to go. You can't you can't stop yeah. them when like that, you know. Foden, who I I don't know why I picked up on this in the game, but he always looks permanently angry. He was mm. really angry. He's he's obviously not angry because his team's winning most weeks and he's scoring goals and he's high standards. He's well, no, I think it's just his natural face. To be oh. honest. I think face expression that he just looks naturally angry all the time but just you know you know a lot it's sort of Laporte has won through dislodged stones it's yeah Laporte he yeah, has rightly so Cancelo is just an absolute joy to watch as a fullback because yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't play like a fullback he's a quarterback but the way he plays the game I absolutely love Cancelo I think he's sort of, Bernardo Silva as well probably my favourite player to watch at the minute yeah. I think Way he takes the ball, he he glides. He's he's so elegant on the ball. It's so pleasing. He's the best off. number eight at City, bar De Bruyne. He's so underrated. I think he's underrated in in the sense that everyone knows he's good, but no one knows just how good he is. Yeah. It's sort of, and then he does these things. I think it's because he's not a superstar name in the side. Mm. It's crazy to think because anywhere else he's the superstar. Yeah, but he's much better as an eight. As a right winger, he's good. But as an eight, he's so much better, isn't he? So much more influential, I think, Callum, isn't he? I know. We say we say he's good as a on the right. He's still exceptional as a right, which you've already yeah. credited. Yeah, he's good on the right. No, but 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 you reality, yeah, it, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. In reality, he walks into most teams hmm. on the right or in the middle, doesn't he? Really, hmm. like that. Probably the only side I can think of is Liverpool. Oh no, he walks into Liverpool's team. He walks into Liverpool. Oh no, as, uh, I was but, on about the winger. Oh league. right, yeah. As an eight, he yeah. walks into the Oh yeah, as an eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he, I love, love he's him. He's an absolute joy to watch. And the and the scary thing is still is this: they didn't start the Bruyne in that game yeah. yesterday. Didn't you know striker or no striker? They didn't have a focal striker. Whatever. Actually, ironically, I think Bernardo Silva's best season was in the season where Kevin De Bruyne was mainly injured because he was playing in Kevin De Bruyne's role. Yeah, and it's crazy. It's, it's like everyone said, it's so crazy to think that 
he was he was potentially going to go and people were sort mm. of like I wouldn't say they were okay with it but they were like you know it is I thought it, it was madness yeah I thought it 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 blew my mind that they, they were they were thinking but I suppose if you're a team of that quality if Donato Silva drops out Kevin De Bruyne's in isn't he it's like yeah one of those things isn't it it's, it's quite lucky but didn't he win the City Supporters Player of the Year at some point? He's, he's loved, he's it, was, it was in that season when De Bruyne was out for the most yeah, of the season. the 18-19 one. He was, yeah. I still think even though last season and season four, people sort of went, he lost his way a bit. I still thought he was excellent, mm. which, which, is, which is kudos to him as to how good he's been for Man yeah. City. I think it's only now sort of people outside of the realms of Man City are sort of really sort of appreciate just how... Like, for, Maybe if you, you you're into your football, you know how good the player is, or you've been following since Monaco, you know how good mm. he is. But I think this is now the sort of time when people are really sort of going, hang about. He's a he's a really good player. If you're picking two number eights in the league, he's one of them, and that's any of that's probably De Bruyne is the other one. So uh, the only the only argument is if Kante, if you class Kante as a defensive eight, maybe. But we saw it for Sarri, but maybe not. I, 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 it's still that's a toss of a coin, whatever you prefer. But George, on um, well, well, we'll go to we'll go to two clubs that are sort of the fallen giants, apart from Man United. Uh, we'll go on to relegation. We'll go to the relegation slightly later and sort of group things together there. But Tottenham and Arsenal, um, mixed starts the season for both. Arsenal with a really good win on Friday, three one over Aston Villa. A performance I thought was very very good actually. Uh, some lovely football being played. Smith Rowe thriving, Lacazette back in, making a big impact. Tottenham struggling a little bit. Hard fought game against West Ham, losing one nil to a Mikhail Antonio goal. The bit of a there's talk about you know issues at Tottenham there. Obviously, one week it's Arsenal, one week it's Tottenham. Both the two clubs I call the fighting for relevance clubs because they were part of the top six comfortably for many years, and now we're not too sure. Where would you assess where they're both at now, based off the weekend's performances? I'd say, I'd say, if I was Arsenal fan, I'd be cautiously optimistic. Absolutely, um, I think there was a lot of talk after that game on Friday night on social media, from where I was sitting anyway, about how poor Villa were. But I think, as you made a good point there yourself, Arsenal still produced a really good performance. Smith Rowe, in particular does my head in from an FPL perspective because I've got the Kyo Saka sitting in my team. Um, not that I have a problem with Saka. I think he's excellent as well. But um, Smith Rowe is just such a shining light. Um, but yeah, Villa might have performed badly, but Arsenal still produced a very good performance. As for Spurs, I didn't watch the game against West Ham today, but I read somewhere that they didn't have a shot on goal in the second half. Is that right? Um, yeah. Which is, you know, in a in a London derby, I think is it their fourth defeat in a London derby this season? Mm. To not to not even have a go mm. is just horrendous. I, I mean, it was it was it was a you know, West Ham's a good team. And they they've they've to be fair, fully backed Moyes, I think, in his ambitions. Albeit, yeah, they haven't thrown 100 million at him, but they've, they've looked at the team. They said, right, where do you want to improve? They've got players that are tailored to how he wants to play. And I look at Moyes and I look at Nuno Espirito Santo and I think, yeah, these are similar kind of coaches. They both want to be organised. They both want to they both want to play direct if they can, get the ball up the field, be physical when they can. 
not necessarily playing out from the back in a, in a beautiful kind of way, but playing effective football. And I know Nuno Espirito Santo, Callum likes to remind me of his last season at Wolves, which wasn't very good. And it wasn't, it was turgid. I remember some of the performances myself. Last season. What? I'm only going off, I'm going off what my friends told me. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, to be fair, my, my, one of my close friends also Wolves fan, it's turgid last season. But before that, it was excellent. And it was, it was because they all believed in what Nuno Espirito Santo wanted to do. They pushed for the Champions League the season before while going far in the Europa League. And it shows that he's not a bad manager. Okay, he's not one of the elite guys, but he's not a bad manager. Problem is, he's coming at Tottenham as the 785th person who went for the job. <laughs> and it's just nothing about that club seems to suit because Levy says they're going to play beautiful football the Tottenham way. But you don't appoint Nuno Espirito Santo because that's that's kind of it's not it's not in sync. And then the director of football, Paratici, renowned in, in Serie A for his wonders uh, on the transfer market, he's, he's signing players for the Tottenham way, not for Nuno Espirito Santo, by the way, the players that are coming in. They're for the Tottenham way. They're good players across Europe. And I do feel a bit sorry for him because I feel like he's in a Mission Impossible job. He, he's not really... He's at odds with what the chairman wants, really, and he's only in the job because everyone else didn't want the job. The best player doesn't want to be there. Another lifeless performance from Kane today. And people still have these ambitions of Tottenham as a top-four club, but again, battle for relevance. I did a bit, I went Gary Neville then, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, Tottenham, Tottenham are just a shambles. They, Tottenham failed as soon as they sat Pochettino yeah. and they brought in Mourinho. They ripped up the whole script of what was on paper working I know they got battered 7-2 by Munich and they hadn't started the season very well mm. but it's still back pops and they weren't you couldn't have said they were in a horrendously bad way they were 11th but it was still quite early into the season wasn't it from what I remember mm. it, they ripped up the whole philosophy of bringing in these dynamic exciting players and sort of you know living through a little bit of youth but ultimately playing quite nice football for a man to win him a trophy, only to sack him the week before a cup final, and then you know they're, they're in complete disarray. You know, I think people look at Tottenham as a big club because they have a fancy stadium, but they're not. They're not a big club. They haven't won anything for years. They, they're not. Not just haven't won anything for years. They haven't looked like winning anything. For years. Even last year when he got to the. Carabao Cup final. Did anyone genuinely think that they were going to win against Man City? Maybe no. Ryan Mason. Probably no, not, though. He did. I think he just thought, you know, it's something to do on Sunday, isn't it? That's yeah. probably what he thought. Something to do. They're just, you know, it says a lot when sort of this the seventh choice manager takes the job, and that's only because, yeah, you know, they could have had Conte, like. Like when they had, when the Conte thing looked like it was going to be done, mm. everyone was taking them seriously. Well, they were not Spurs are going to win the league in two years' time. I thought that. Yeah, yeah so did I. Yeah. And then, you know, so I just, you know, Levy says he wants to play the Tottenham way, but he has no, can, he has no understanding of what the fans want at all. Because after that, he then tried to go and get Gennaro Gattuso, who's renowned for having an utterly bad relationship with Spurs fans. They absolutely detest him. Why would you try and actively appoint a manager that oh. your fans detest? The, he For that video, he, wasn't it? Sometime very good. Sometime. Yeah, they thought, they, thought, they, they, thought they, they, they'd mastered it by bringing 
by keeping Harry Kane in. What a pathetic decision that was. Yeah, it wasn't good. That 150 million could have helped him out now, and they've brought in players like Brian Hill. Hill, Hill, I've not even seen him play. I I don't know. It was Emerson. Good sign. Yeah, Romero is a good signing. I'll, I'll give him that. And Oliver Skip looks good since he's come back. Yep. And, you know, and but Emerson Royale, how on earth he played for Barcelona is beyond me. Mm. Uh, uh, Burger King's chicken Royale would have looked better at right back. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's not even an exaggeration. You know, they, the whole game plan of Spurs is quite literally just like Son and Kane, yep. please do something. Yeah. You know, Nuno teams are normally associated with going one and up and being extremely hard to break down. But now it's it's like they just sort of go, oh, you score and we'll just keep it tight at the back and lose one nil. No, no. Well, I mean, that might have been the... I don't know. I, I, I no, think... I don't actively saying that, but it, no. it feels like that. And, oh, it's just... He, he won't be there. No. But the thing is, I, I thought this season, to be fair for Tottenham, was never going to be good. If they kept Kane, I thought he'd be dis- distracted. If they sold Kane, I thought they'd be in, in a massive hole because who, who replaces the goals? And Nuno's just going to be the guy, the fall guy, isn't he, for that situation? I, I, I genuinely believe that. It's just going to be one of those years where he takes the flag and he goes, and he's that guy people forget about in, in the Tottenham Hotspur manager's era. The next manager they have to get, really, probably has to be post-Kane. It has to be someone who's going to develop a philosophy, going to develop the Spurs way, so to speak. But uh, again, th- this season for them, it, just about staying relevant, honestly. Don't don't even attempt it. Uh, Tottenham fans wanted Champions League, don't even attempt it. Just be happy <laughs> for a just be happy for a top seven or something like that because the manager's got on for a hiding to nothing, honestly. And he, and he, before before a ball was kicked, I thought that. And and it, and it seems like that at the moment. If he, if he lasts the season, like I say, and I think he's a, a, a lovely man. He did a great job for Wolves, minus the last season. But I just don't think he's going to have. Uh, I don't have much, hold out much hope for him. For generally, for reasons outside his control. Um, well, we'll throw we'll throw onto the other side of the table. Then now we'll, we'll sort of summarise. I suppose all, all of those games at the bottom. Uh, we've got Everton, Everton two, Watford five. Talk about that in a second. Palace one, Newcastle one. God knows how Newcastle got a point out of that. Absolutely no idea. Ben Teke could have scored five. Honestly, it was it was crazy. That Wilson what, goal was oh, incredible. There. It was. It was outrageous. And it, worthy of getting a point, to be fair. Uh, the Leeds one, Wolves one was also interesting because Leeds, so many injuries. Gets even worse when Rafinha, the guy who's basically carrying the attack in the absence of Bamford, he'd be carrying the attack all season, to be fair. Now he's injured, but it doesn't seem too bad. But they got a really important late equaliser with Rodrigo penalty. Then Southampton two, Burnley two, which was a which was a strange old game battle of really. I mean, two, two players stood out really. Tino Livramento was incredible, absolutely incredible, and fully merited his goal. Maxwell Cornet was also quite wonderful. Um, scored a brilliant second goal on the taking it taking the ball early, striking it past McCarthy. Again, I look at the both teams and I think Southampton maybe uh, lacking Danny Ings' prowess in attack in terms of clinical efficiency because the performances this season have been really good for the most part. Burnley lacking goals, except for Cornet, who's the top scorer with three, despite only starting three games and coming off injured in one of them. And then one of those games with the Etihad as well, and he came off just before the hour. So tells you all you need to know about Burnley's problems. But just to go back onto some of those other games, actually... I mean, I, yeah, I, th- I think the, the the one which has a bit more extended discussion has to be Everton-Watford. Claudio Ranieri, written off by me last week, has been washed up. 
that delivers a 5-2 masterclass for Watford. Although I must say some of the defending in that column was some of the worst defending I've ever seen in my life. If I if I was in that defence, I'd be embarrassed with how I defended. It was that bad and I can't defend. So they were, I mean, it was amateurish, wasn't it? It was amateur hour. But I'll tell you what, people say Rafa out, oh, this is disgusting. This wouldn't happen with Carlo Ancelotti. But it did. That, that kind of lacklustre display was quite common under Carlo Ancelotti. And the only reason he got away with it was because he was Carlo Ancelotti. Rafa, Rafa only gets that abuse because he managed their neighbours up the road and was very successful with his ne- with the neighbours up the road. So naturally, but I have to say the, the boos were glorious on match of the day. They, they yeah. I'd say extreme. Even at three, it was exceptional. We were saying in friends group chat, sort of, you know, this is this is glorious booing. It, it's fine. Josh King as well, the ultimate sort of comeback and haunt your old stuff. Everyone forgot he even played for Everton. Some good goals though, weren't they? Some good footwork. Yeah. Some of that. I, you know, it was it was title winning Leicester football. That's what it was. Soak up the pressure, yeah. counter and counter ruthlessly. King was marvellous. It, mm. you know, I think it wasn't a free pass to Liverpool game last week because he, he had over a week to prepare with them. Mm. I think a lot of people would have come in and, you know, when Everton went on the loop after three minutes, I think a lot of people did think, oh God, it. You know, yeah. two power ins from two Merseyside clubs in the space mm. of two games. But mm. no, fair play to Watford. You know, Ben Foster, I'm sure, has got that on that video as well. So, um, to be fair, he had a bit of a, he was a bit of fault for the second goal, I think. I don't know where he was going, trying to come out. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, for Everton as well. I mean, as much as there is stick coming their way and the, I think the football being. I don't think they're very good. No, but as well, no, Richarlison was just coming back. He came off on the hour and came on on the hour, sorry. And no Calvert-Lewin either. I mean, those two are key, aren't they, for Everton's success? They always have been. And they're two very good players. So to be playing with Rondon up top, who's been playing in China, came into this team unfit out of necessity. I mean, Benitez is working with a fairly average set of players, isn't he, to be honest? He spent 1.7 million. So, and... So he brought in two players on a free transfer and Damari Gray, who was just the most low-risk signing you could go for, really. Mm. If that's yeah. what so he's he's done he's done well with what he's had, but this the squad's recruitment for years has been poor. Yeah. And no matter how much you look at it, for every one signing they've got right, there's probably five or six that you would argue have been a flop. Like the, yeah. the squad's quite old as well. Yeah. Like I look at Everton's side and it's one of these weird ones because we always associate Everton with being one of those teams that challenge to break the top, don't we? Mm-hmm. Sort of battle the top order. But they couldn't look any further from it. I think they're just a bang average mid-table. So that's way too good to go down and they won't go down because Rafa Benitez is too good. For they're not good enough to be... I think they're just the between the 10th and the 14th. So. That's always what I always sort of associated with post-Ferguson teams when all the United fans used to say, oh, well, we, we, you know, we've got to be challenging for titles. Well, they haven't been challenging for titles since Ferguson left, so I never really understood that logic either. A bit like that, I suppose. Uh, George, you mentioned a little bit about the Wilson goal. I mean, it was a, it was a smash and grab because Palace were fantastic. 75% possession, could have had four or five goals. Somehow it's a 1-1. Symptomatic of Palace's season, really. Uh, they've been outstanding, but sometimes struggled to get it over the line. Any hope for Newcastle? Because it just seemed a bit like an extension of the Bruce era, didn't it? So It did, yeah. But I, I think the Wilson goal, it shows shows the position they're in that they're having to rely on their 
small number of quality players because there aren't many players in that Newcastle team who could come up with that sort of moment. But fair play to him because it, it really was impressive. I think the Newcastle fans are starting to worry because, mm. well, obviously they were worried already, but with the takeover and all the excitement around that, I think they now realise that even with the money that they should have to spend in January, they're not immediately going to become a team that is going to be nowhere near the relegation battle. And I think this appointment that they're presumably going to make over the next week, two weeks, I think it's going to be huge because the new manager is going to need to come in and it's going to need to get results really quickly because the bottom three are at risk of getting cut off. Don't say that. Don't say that. (laughs) I know. I know. I I, I sort of look at it from my team's perspective, Burnley, and think, well, if it wasn't for Corne, the big money signing, there would be a bit more trouble than there currently is. He's currently came in, he was primarily a left back in his final season at Lyon, but he has played left mid, right mid, and he's currently playing second striker at Burnley. And that's the, the reason being is because sort of an enigmatic talent. He's got, he misses the easier chances. He scores wonder goals, does step overs that make me smile. And he's got pace and he's can trickery. And you have to have someone of that talent as far up the pitch as possible. No point having him at the back. And I think that's why he's basically playing in the advanced position that he is. And if Burnley are going to string something together, it's probably having a bit of pace to go in behind. And what seems to be the the idea now is Wood, who's not playing particularly well, is the big focal point up top. And then running beyond him from any flick-ons or or any spaces that open up when a defender goes to get to Wood will be Corne because he's the only player in Bur- at Burnley with legitimate pace. So there is hope there. But I think for Burnley, for Newcastle and for Norwich and even for maybe even for Watford and teams in and around there, maybe even Southampton, if they struggle to convert chances in, in the way that they have been doing, January is such a big month for any of those teams, such a big month to get recruits in. Anyone that doesn't bother to delve into that could could... Be could succumb to relegation. I think it's uh, it's really really big. I'm a bit concerned, and I know many other fans are concerned. But I'm happy because I'm Mister Optimistic all the time, and hopefully, hopefully, um, the new owners at Burnley, uh, Alan Pace and Co, can, and the new NFL man who's come in, hopefully they can provide funds to sustain our my team's place in the top flight. Now, that win for Watford as well was massive because their fixtures yeah. coming up look horrendous. So fair fantastic. Fantastic. Well, fair play to Ranieri. I hope I'm not saying that at the end of the season because that might mean so long, <laughs> Sean Dyke. But we'll have to see. I don't know. Hopefully. Anyway, there was... Well. Go on, Callum. Sorry. We played well. We, we played we, well, sorry. We played well. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Leicester did play well. I mean, it was, it was one of those, just before we move on, it was, one of the, it was one of those games that sort of got lost in my notes, but it is still there. It's still on my notes. It was actually Brentford-Leicester. I, I said to you, I thought Brentford would win. It's, a, it's, an, it's sort of um, reflective of the fact how Brentford, how good Brentford are as a, 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 or how good they've approached this season. I wasn't too convinced with Leicester because they played a terrible Man United team. And, and in Europe, of course, Dakar was fantastic as well. But you give me that look. But I, I wasn't because, you know, they've been poor performances before that point. But, you know, this is a statement win because it's a good Brentford team. Brentford were desperately unlucky. I can't lie to but no. Brent. I think that was more impressive than the United game because yeah. it's good. Oh, I do. Uh, I thought before we say how bad United were, we were excellent that game. Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, combination, but I don't. That, Liverpool that, were yeah. excellent, but yeah, today was more impressive because yeah. 
we weren't at our best and we played a very good side. Mm. And, tactically astute. Yeah, Rogers got it spot on tactically. I mean, mm. yeah. Both got it was two moments of magic really that got us the win. The team's goal superb and the, the counter attack is a throwback to 2015-16 season. It was it was devastating. It was mm. like it was one of those sort of stat it was sort of like hairs raised on your arms when because you were like, oh my, this is really good to see. It was it was really nice and a glimpse into the future, I think. Hopefully. What we'll see from Dhaka for the next mm. Well, for hopefully a long time. Mm. Well, hopefully there's more discussion on Leicester of an extended form. I mean, to be fair, at the moment, tread, treading in mid-table, you know, Brentford we've discussed at length, you know. I'm, last... I'm climbing up slowly and steadily. Yeah. That's good, say. though. That's good. Big game, big game on Wednesday. We've got Brighton in the Cup, and then we've also got Arsenal, um, Arsenal next week, so that's oh. a very good game. Exciting. And hopefully more, more discussion on Leicester. Although Burnley are always relegated as well to the bottom of the discussion piles. I don't feel too guilty. Um, <laughs> on the, I, 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 I chose my words poorly then when I said relegated. I mean, never mind. But it's just on the, on the mind at the moment, on the mind. I tell you what did surprise me. Well, not surprise me. Uh, I was saying to Callum actually earlier, the, the El Clasico today, a quarter past three kickoff Real Madrid Barcelona it was 2-1 to Real Madrid at Camp Nou but in my when I remember El Clasico's gone by with the superstars it was always 8pm prime time because it usually didn't want to clash with the with the half past four Premier League game of course the half past four Premier League game being Man United and Liverpool and obviously there's a crossover there and it was sort of the, the kickoff time and the, the nature of it when I looked at the lineups and I just saw so some good players some good young players some good experienced players Benzema you know probably one of the most high profile Barcelona, you got Memphis Depay, Fatty, but I just looked at it and thought, this has fallen so far in from what I remember growing up as a kid and from what I even remember just a few years ago. No Messi really does it really shows that you've got two quite ordinary teams out there. And I mean, watching it, George, it was like, I mean, Barcelona wanted to probe. I wanted to pass it around, but it was all a bit slow. They were all thinking a little bit too much. This wasn't like Barcelona, what we used to, but this is Koeman Barcelona. Then you've got Ancelotti defending, trying to hit them on the counter-attack, worked quite well. Alaba with a wonder goal. But I suppose a, a game of that stature, which we used to herald in such esteem, it, it shows how far La Liga's fallen, hasn't it, in such a short space of time. Now Ronaldo, no Messi, and now Barcelona in tatters, and, and, and Real Madrid not really the, the force that they once were either. Yeah, it absolutely does. I think I read somewhere earlier, it was the first Classico without Messi or Sergio Ramos since 2004. Um, so that really does show you the level that it has been at. Um, I think Courtois had about one save to make in the yeah. whole game until... Aguero. Just Mr. Sitter, though. Well, he, he did, but I, it just isn't working under Koeman. He, he clearly on borrowed time. Um, I know they won in the Champions League in midweek. But, um, yeah, I, I really don't see how he stays in that job for much longer at all. I thought he'd probably be gone before this game, to be honest, but somehow he's got to this point. It, it, it's, I mean, the problems outlast Koeman, like the problems outlast managers, the problems outlast Solskjaer at Man United. Well, just about, but the problems definitely outlast Koeman. That is a crisis club. Ancelotti as well trying to prove his worth again after poor spells. Well, 
not great spells at Everton, Napoli, Bayern Munich was also a questionable career move for him. So he's trying to prove himself as well. So the elite coaches aren't really there. The elite players aren't really there. Although what it was, I'll tell you what, Cal, it was nice to see a full camp now because in the Champions League, uh, not too long ago, I think against Bayern Munich, it was only 31,000 or something because of the coronavirus restrictions. So it's nice to see all the stadiums sort of slowly filling back yeah. up again. I think even without Corona, though, that game didn't have sold out. Barcelona's no. It's a very, I can imagine that a lot of that crowd at El Clasico as well was still touring. bigger. Bigger. It's one of those games, isn't it, where sort of people circle it and go, that's that's a game I really want to see live. So, yeah. I should imagine there's still the general uh, number of fans that went with Barcelona and Real Madrid supporters, but I should imagine there was quite mm. a heavy amount of people that were just there for the day. And but you know, Barcelona's such a weird club. Like, there's never any atmosphere there, is there? But I, I didn't watch the game. I was I what I was working and multitasking on other things, so I couldn't watch it. So, was there an atmosphere at the new? Did it sound like a? Because whenever I I watched it, and even when Messi and Ronaldo were there, it never like sounded like a derby. No. It it never sounded like a rivalry. Yeah, I, I that, don't know. It, it was it was like, uh, like Norwich Ipswich. That's a derby. Yeah, it, it was. Derby. To be fair, it was tough for Barcelona to get up for it. They started okay. Des missing that chance where I don't know how he how he missed, and then Alaba scoring a banger. I mean, it was if you're not seeing it, twenty five well twenty five yards ish top corner. See you later to, to Stegen. Amazing, but it wasn't really the appetite. I, I don't think Barcelona really ever after a promising start, it just didn't really take control of the game. They didn't really assert authority on the game. It was all a bit meh. And it yeah. was all, and it, it, I suppose that's why the, the, the crowd didn't necessarily get up for it as much as they could. They do have a high expectation as well, I suppose, Catalan yeah. Giants and all that. They never really do get up for it though, do they? Uh, I never like, I never think, I never sit there when I'm watching Barcelona think, wow, the atmosphere is electric. Whereas like other clubs like, even Paris Saint-Germain and stuff and that, you, you look at the fan base and stuff and you're like, well, like... Camp Now is a fabulous stadium, though. I mean, it, it really is. It's nice to look at, but uh, you would still like a bit of an atmosphere. Yeah. It's probably half the players to get themselves up for it. And oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'd, uh, I'd love to play at Camp Now, me. If it was... If, if it was... If that... Just me. Give me a small... Give me a small... Ground, give me Barnsley away over Barcelona away. And Roma Napoli also today, though nil nil, but both managers got sent off. Spalletti and Mourinho sent to the stands, which is not yeah. too surprising, I suppose. That's that's a bit more of a fiery derby, to be fair. The Italian derbies and the derbies in Italy do get a bit more fiery. I mean, there's so many big games today. I mean, Juventus and Inter Milan also playing today, but it, we don't know. Hmm? PSG Marseille, but we don't know the full time result because it's going on at, at present, so we don't know. It'd be pointless Neymar, to comment on them. Neymar and Messi have bottles lobbed at them. That's all I know. So yeah, right. Neymar and Messi have bottles lobbed at them, but we we, we don't know uh, the full time results. This because it's still going out, but that it's been an absolutely crazy day of football, really, and, and particularly in England, there was so much to talk about there. There's so much in in the European leagues as well. Actually, just one thing: the wonderful goal from uh, Jude Bellingham as well. Mm. It's against Hoffenheim this weekend. It was almost a bit. I'm not going to, well, we'll say Salah Messi, yes, but it wasn't quite. He was sort of, he, it was a little bit, wasn't it? You've seen it, Callum. It was a bit. He sort of jinked in, jinked out, and then dinked the keeper. It's a nice finish. I love Bellingham. I'm, I'm not run out of superlatives, that man. Very, very good player. Yeah, and he's at the perfect club to develop as well. Perfect club to develop. So, no, it is. 
anyway, I still think this actually this is actually technically, I think, still a shorter podcast than last week that got a bit out of hand. But yeah, that that's uh, my thanks to George for coming on. He, his his Twitter at will be if I remember in the description of the podcast. So do follow him. Thank you very much. Pleasure to come on. Really yeah. enjoyed it. I wish I wish it had been in nicer circumstances, but obviously <laughs> pro- probably probably a bit unfair. Hopefully, at some point later in the season. Yeah. When Norwich was next when Norwich won. Yeah. You're not going to be on, George. You're not going to be on. <laughs> Don't be on. We say that. We'll see you next week. See you. <laughs> I, I honestly oh, think... to be fair, not not foregone against an injury hit Leeds. I don't know. I, I think if if Farker was to go tomorrow morning, I, Bruce, I, would really came back, back. I would really back us with a bit of a dead cat bounce because it's incredible what that can do. Mm. Um, but I, like I said, I, I don't think he's going to go after this. I weekend. wish you'd use uh, the yeah, dead cat bounce and the imagery not oh, great oh, there. Still got four years. And, this is one thing we never actually discussed. He's still got yeah. four years on his deal. So if they yeah. sack him, it's going to be a considerable payoff. And it's whether Delia considers that financially viable. I didn't know you were on first name terms with the Norwich owner. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the new contract in the summer is um, is looking sillier by the day to yeah. be honest. I, I think they've got to bite the bullet on that though. If if they really if they want to show any sort of ambition of staying in the league, then they'll pay it off. If they're not too bothered, then they won't. Mm. A penny for Daniel's thoughts on this, I suppose. First name terms and all that. But <laughs> if you want to carry on listening to things like this, probably a bit shorter in future when certain managers don't lose 5-0 at the biggest club in the world, possibly, then do give us a subscribe. Do give us a review. Do give us a positive review with a five-star rating because we like that. That's good. That's great. That's wonderful. Do subscribe, because if you don't subscribe, you cannot listen to the following episodes that come on every week on a Monday at 7 a.m. BST. I'm probably not awake then, but it is scheduled. Actually, I'm awake then usually, but it is scheduled. So morning routine, listen to it after, all that good stuff. And we'll see you next Monday at 7 a.m. BST. Thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe and take care.